Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of Ghost Town may contain disturbing or graphic descriptions, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Please use discretion while listening. The Notorious Chateau Marmont, Part 2. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. Welcome back to our three-part Halloween series on the notorious Chateau Marmont. As a refresher, we've talked through the Chateau's opening in 1929, its failures, successes, and some wild characters that came through its French Chateau doorways up through the 1950s. But now, as the Chateau solidly hits mid-century Los Angeles, things were changing and fast. Today, we're joined again by friends Sean Levy and Mark Rosso, talking through the Chateau from the 1960s until its present day discussing some very famous lives, even more famous deaths, a larger-than-life owner, its current cultish fan base, and of course, hypothesizing on its mysterious future. This is part two, Marmontophilia. In 1963, the Sunset Strip became a hub for music, and the Chateau and its new owner, William Weiss, couldn't quite keep up. The Chateau didn't allow partying that places like the Sunset Marquis or the Hyatt House permitted. The Chateau maintained itself as a quiet, anti-party experience, which did not go over well. Still, the hotel's reputation was just fine for Janis Joplin, a markedly friendly and polite guest during her stays at the Chateau. And Phil Spector, also polite, showing up to the hotel with long hair, high heels, and two pet cats in a cage. Jim Morrison arrived at the Chateau in 1970, just a year before he would be found dead in a bathtub in Paris from heart failure due to a heroin overdose. While he lived in room 29, a bungalow off of the pool, visitors would use a secret knock to see their rock star friend. An adrenaline junkie, and at that point using drugs pretty heavily, Morrison would rush into traffic on the strip, play with knives, guns, and swing off balconies. At one point, he got up on the hotel's roof and tried to swing into his own bedroom window, lost his grip, and fell two stories down 
not dying, but bouncing off a nearby shed's roof and injuring his leg. As the chateau got more and more run down, it began to have a reputation as a less-than-premier hotel on the Strip, but still one for creatives to stay cheaply and relatively unbothered. In 1972, the British music journalist Nick Cohn checked into Room 64, writing, quote, The chateau was full of corridors and dark corners, aged courtesans, ghost-white junkies. A ghost who wears a blue robe is also rumored to stay in this room. But don't worry, we'll get to more ghost stuff later. In 1972, a then 10-year-old named Jill Selzman moved into Suite 46 with her mother, actress Carol Lindley. Quote, Back then, Selzman told Mark Razzo in his Vanity Fair piece, people came to the chateau to fall apart. Her next-door neighbor was Graham Parsons, who became her closest adult friend. Just a year later, Parsons drove out to the Joshua Tree Inn, another hotel we've had the unique experience of staying in, and died of an overdose at age 26. Dustin Hoffman moved into the chateau during the filming of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Broke and Missing New York absolutely hated the place. Roman Polanski, who felt the chateau looked too much like the demons of his old European homes, echoed that sentiment. But Polanski's wife, actor Sharon Tate, felt the opposite. Sharon, quote, loved its rundown appearance and old world atmosphere, not to mention the crazy layout of its shabby rooms. The Polanskis started hosting parties there, attended by neighbors and friends like the bane of the hotel's existence, Warren Beatty, Jack Nicholson, Peter Sellers, and Mia Farrow. When Tate became pregnant, Roman Polanski didn't like the idea of the baby being born into a hotel, so the couple signed a lease for 10050 Cielo Drive, a ranch house owned by their friend Candace Bergen. Of course, if you're a listener of this podcast, you probably know that on August 9th, 1969, Tate would be killed in this house with Wojtek Frykowski, Abigail Folger, Jay Sebring, and Steve Parent by the Manson family. In a heartbreaking way, you might say the culture of the chateau contributed to the chain of events that would place Tate at her then home, the scene of what would become one of the most notorious crimes in L.A. history. After sitting on the market for two years, the hotel was sold in 1975 to Raymond R. Sarlet and Carl Cantorgian of Sarlet Cantorgian, a real estate development firm. At that point, Roman Polanski had moved back while awaiting trial for the sexual assault of a 13-year-old girl at the home of his friend, Jack Nicholson, before fleeing the country. A good indication of where the hotel was at the end of the 70s was the reaction of Bianca Jagger's friends when they found out she was staying there. Words like horrified, disgusting, appalled were being thrown around, to name a few. Vanity Fair contributing editor Mark Razzo shares one of his favorite memories of the chateau, which happened around this time and is indicative of the cultural space that the hotel existed in. I think this was early 1969 when Led Zeppelin first visited L.A. Robert Plant came straight to the chateau. And he strolled up the driveway, allegedly in bare feet, with his blonde ringlets bobbing, taking in this brooding castle perched over Sunset Boulevard. And he thought to himself, I've found my people. It's a feeling that visitors have had about the chateau ever since the beginning in 1929. And I hope they still will after we're all gone. And by the way, plant... Also, when he arrived, noticed three vaguely spooky young women hanging out in the lobby, and they turned out to be members of the uh, Manson family. John Belushi checked into the hotel on February 28, 1982. At 33, he was there to stay in his favorite bungalow, number three, to write a movie. Lauren Michaels was a fan of the hotel and turned a lot of SNL writers in time and turned a lot of SNL writers and cast onto its shabby charm. And Belushi was no different hoping to finish his romantic comedy, Noble Rot, among some of his other pastimes, mainly food, drugs, booze, and hanging out on the Strip. On March 4, 1982, 
hotel guest Robert De Niro and his friend, actor Harry Dean Stanton, kept phoning Belushi to join them out in Hollywood. When he wouldn't, the two came back to the chateau and found Belushi in bad shape. He was in his room, trashed with a random woman named Kathy Smith, lounging among the takeout boxes, cocaine, garbage, and booze. The two actors left, and at one point Robin Williams called De Niro and agreed to go back with them to check on Belushi. By the end of the night, both Williams and De Niro independently stopped by Belushi's bungalow alone, both creeped out, both doing a little bit of cocaine, before leaving shortly thereafter. The next morning, Kathy Smith signed for Belushi's breakfast. Smith later reported that, alarmed by the sound of his breathing, she woke Belushi up at about 9.30 a.m. and asked if he was okay. He said, quote, just don't leave me alone. But she had to go and left the chateau with Belushi asleep in his bed. A little while later, Bill Wallace, Belushi's fitness trainer and occasional bodyguard, stopped by to deliver a typewriter and audio cassette recorder that Belushi requested the previous day. Wallace found Belushi dead, and the hotel erupted into chaos. Later, famous L.A. coroner Thomas Noguchi announced that Belushi's cause of death was combined drug intoxication involving cocaine and heroin, commonly known as a speedball. Morbidly, somewhat because of Belushi's death, the rest of the 1980s would become a kind of era of fascination, a retro chic for the hotel. According to our friend Sean Levy, quote, the Marmot was elevated to a status it had never enjoyed previously, with nostalgia for a heyday that had never quite existed. He goes on to say, But it was not a luxury hotel. And in the 80s, when John Belushi died, suddenly it became infamous and it became synonymous with Hollywood excess and, you know, dirty uh, lifestyles and, um, you know, the like the Hollywood's version of a no-tell motel. And it was always more than that, but it was also always that as well. So then it started to attract another sort of person. A bad boy sort of person, but a bad boy who had an appreciation for history. A more ghoulish, um, self-celebratory bad boy. The original Brat Pack, you know, Emilio Estevez and Rob Lowe and, and Ethan Hawke. Uh, is another one, Robert Downey Jr. So in the late 80s, early 90s, Hollywood was rediscovering parts of its DNA that were still around. So Musso and Franks became super popular again, the Formosa Cafe, and Chateau Marmont was part of that. Boy, was it. We'll talk more about that after the break. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, hello, how are you? Hello, hello, hello. We're in it now. We're in. We've got our key. We know our check-in time, check-out time. I get a drink at the bar. You can check in and you can check out and they want you to check <laughs> they, out. They would like that actually. Yeah, um, so they can, respectfully. Uh, other people can go and they can make money. Yeah, just uh, run their business. I don't know. Keep it clean. Leave a tip for the maid. Always leave a tip for the maid. I got a tip. Hmm. Thanking everyone for listening and supporting ghost town and spreading the good word yes that's a little yes. tip for you that's a nice little tip it's a nice little tip it's a nice little tip and you want more for that tip we will have some other visuals that go along with this episode very exciting you'll kind of get to see what we're talking about in this historical part and also as we move on to our last episode we're branching out we're getting into some video you can see our faces Ugh. and bodies Ooh. I mean, watch with care. Our voices are up here, I guess is what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we love, love thanking the government. Mm-hmm. Yes, the ghost town government, especially. Yes, we do. They're giving out the liquor licenses mm-hmm. and building code stuff. That's cool. We love a safe structure. Yes. We love paying off government employees <laughs> we love true. it that's very it's true. always an insult with the amount that we offer to pay yeah it's not good and that's never it's not good but you know what we justify it in bad ways like three dollars left over on an apple music gift card that's not Whoa, that's not, not even enough for one maybe for one song but it's not gonna be a good one <laughs> yeah anyway the mayors when we slip a nice six dollar and 42 cent red robin gift card hell yeah yum yum mm. you can get part of something there <laughs> yeah you like half an app <laughs> cool whole thing too yeah, bad yeah you have to fund that yourself that goes to ashley matson hello how about a nice eleven dollar even Ooh, gift card someone was good today to tj maxx to this maxinista <laughs> you could probably buy a couple of things yeah some jumbo candy like, in the front yeah like a like a gummy vitamin maybe yeah or a pair of pants off the floor <laughs> 14 socks for children. That goes to the one and only Casey Weber. Hello. And how about a nice $19.33 gift Mm. card to REI? Oh, great. That will get you a burner refill? That's camping stuff, right? (laughs) That's a camping thing. That's how how poor of a gift giver Mm -hmm. I am or somebody Mm. who wants- Cliff bar? A couple cliff bars? Yeah, get a couple of cliff bars. Okay. Keep up that energy. Good. That goes to Matthew Clemens Larray. Hello. And how about a nice Buffalo Wild Wings <laughs> gift card Yum. for $2.01? That's Sorry. one wing. That's one whole wing. We used a lot of it already. <laughs> very, very sorry. <laughs> Kelly Meehan. Hello. How about a nice, juicy Amazon gift card? Wow. Mm. Wow, 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 wow. What are we talking? Wow. 98 cents on that baby. <laughs> great, great. Sorry. Great. Honestly, at Amazon, yeah. you can maybe you, buy you a lot can, of things. You can use it. Yeah. A couple of uh, pop sockets yeah. or whatever. You don't know how much pop sockets go for. <laughs> no idea. Goes to Emma Hopkins. Hello. And a nice generic 
Visa gift card. <laughs> it's just one of those like regular ones. It's just like Visa <laughs> gift card. It doesn't even have like a birthday. It's thing like on vanilla. The front. Like sometimes That's they're cool. like called like vanilla. Like you just make up these weird names. I still have a bunch of yeah, gift cards them, that like, I've CBS. never done. Yeah, yeah. Get them, and then when you use it, though, they also charge you for actually using it. They do. So, yeah, they charge. They actually. Yeah. Wow. It's a real grift. Yeah. But coming from us, it's the a thought. Gift. Yeah, this is the Not thought that grift gift, is a gift. Yeah. The thought that counts. Mm-hmm. Cat Joselle. Hello. And a nice paper, not a gift card, a gift certificate. Like if you were in like Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory when you get that golden ticket, I guess. Wow, yeah. It's a golden ticket. Wow. It's a golden ticket to a mall <laughs> that is on its last legs. <laughs> it was printed from like a nice printer. Nice so it printer. Like, so it looks, looks you like, you show up at this like... mall and you're like, this mall has like a dream catcher store. Mm-hmm. It still for some reason has a Staples. Mm-hmm. And then it's uh, for some reason they've co-opted it and they're giving haircuts in there too. Yeah. It's some politicians like space. You can't go in there though. Maybe one vending machine. It's $10,000. <laughs> There's not even enough... Thing there to spend yeah, on it. Fuck yeah. Buy that abandoned fountain. <laughs> it's got a kiosk of like gumballs. Yeah, love that. It's watermelon ones. So that goes to our governor, Avian Noble. Noble. If you want no ads, no chit chat, bonus episodes, just the good stuff, seven day free trial. Head on over to patreon.com slash ghost town pod. Wow, wow, this is so exciting. I think we should maybe get back to the Chateau Marmont. Take me back. Let's do it. So as you know, the world of the Chateau Marmont after John Belushi's death was busy and even more celebrity-studded. Up-and-coming established actors and musicians gravitated to the hotel. Also, it was still cheap, which was helpful. Established celebrities like Carol Kane, William Hurt, and Wallace Shawn stayed there, along with a new generation of actors, kids like John Cusack, Anthony Michael Hall, and Robert Downey Jr. Said Cusack, quote, I remember arriving at 17, and they put me up in the Chateau Marmont where Belushi had died not long before. And I saw Andre the Giant in a satin jacket that said hell. And I thought, rock on. Ethan Hawke, another regular, said, quote, The Chateau makes me feel like I know where I am. It's a tad reminiscent of New York to me. There's so little history in L.A. and something so attractive about a place with a past. I, of course, do not agree. L.A. didn't start in 1929, but I think I see where he's coming from. The Chateau had a kind of been around the block and seen some things feel. A celebrity in its own right, like the living and breathing ones inside. You could stay there at the time and see Matt Dillon, Winona Ryder, Sarah Jessica Parker, Johnny Depp, and Keanu Reeves, who actually lived in a suite there for years between buying and selling his homes. At this point, too, gonzo journalist Hunter S. Thompson was actively and zealously terrorizing the staff during his stays. It was a place that felt lived in, had seen life, and promised you a place within it. The hotel was acquired in 1990 by Andre Bellage, a glamorous businessman and hotelier who modernized the hotel while keeping the nostalgia people so desperately craved from it. Andre Bellage is the son of a Hungarian biochemist who twice sold companies for like nine figures. He patented things um, using placentas and and rooster coxcombs to help create artificial joints and artificial eye lenses. Balazs was raised in suburban Massachusetts, educated at American colleges, and really entrenched himself in the Manhattan party and art world of the 1980s. He invested in a couple of nightclubs and restaurants, and then he decided he was going to open a hotel. Um, The Mercer, I believe, was the first hotel he opened in Lower Manhattan, and he was keen to bring this 
brand of you know hospitality restaurants, nightclubs, and hotels to Los Angeles in the early nineties. I think Andre Balash was the right man for the job. Uh, he put an artful, glamorous frame around everything that is the chateau's essence: the history, the glamour, the bohemianism. The friskiness, I mean, he amplified all of that, thereby enlarging the appeal and the mythology of the place. I mean, when he came in, the refrain from all sides was, don't mess it up, don't mess it up. But this was when there were springs popping out of the couches. Balash spent the next decade through this um, restoration slash reinvention process. In his private life, he was married to Katie Ford of the Ford modeling dynasty. and. They had children together, but Balaj was, uh, he had a roving private life. And after their divorce, he went through a string of famous girlfriends, um, Courtney Love, Chelsea Handler, Uma Thurman. Sometimes there were engagements. Guests at the time included Alan Cumming, who bragged about having sex on the piano in his suite, and Michael Madsen, who lived in a bungalow with his two pet Rottweilers. The hotel was kind of hedonistically playful at this time, with Hunter S. Thompson and Josh Hartnett hanging by the pool, while Sam Rockwell met his future wife in the lobby. The legendary crime reporter Dominic Dunn, once a visitor at the hotel while reporting on the O.J. Simpson trial, slept soundly in room 43 through the morning of January 17, 1994, during the Northridge earthquake, a massive 6.7 phenomenon that collapsed freeways and apartment buildings, but left the chateau nearly untouched. Later, when Dunn arrived back in New York, he immediately called the hotel to say he'd left a, quote, pornographic video of a very low-rent nature on the VCR, and asked that it please be removed before the maid saw it. The chateau assured him all would be taken care of, and asked if he'd like the tape sent back to him. God, no, no, Dunn replied. At around noon on January 23, 2004, a silver Cadillac came careening out of the garage, and instead of turning onto Sunset, smashed into a retaining wall across Marmont Lane. At the wheel was 83-year-old photographer and guest of Room 49, Helmut Newton, who had suffered a heart attack while leaving the parking lot. That morning, he had run into Sofia Coppola, another regular guest and fan of Newton's. She recalls, quote, He was coming home from the gym in his sweatsuit, and I thanked him for the photo he had given me. A few hours later, I came back and his car had crashed. There was the car and all the flowers around it. Newton's death and the rise of smartphones and internet gossip culture created a new era of notoriety for the Chateau Marmont. In 2006, Heath Ledger was filmed at the hotel on a camera phone doing a lot of cocaine. James Franco, Britney Spears, Colin Farrell, Paris Hilton, and of course, Lindsay Lohan were all fodder for celebrity news while staying at the hotel. Lana Del Rey, who has the name of the hotel tattooed into her forearm, filmed her music video Honeymoon in Room 79. Stinson Carter, a bartender at the Chateau, told Mark Razzo in his 2019 Vanity Fair piece, quote, you went from having a private hotel to a hotel that was assailed by paparazzi to a hotel where the celebrities themselves, armed with photo cameras, were their own paparazzi. Mark Razzo also notes this profound shift. The celebrity world we live in is no longer the one that those chateau denizens of yore, Greta Garbo, Orsini Poitier, or Marlon Brando lived in, let alone the one that Joni Mitchell or Jim Morrison lived in, or even what, you know... Uh, Sophia Coppola or Stephen Dorff lived in. Phil Pavel, who was a longtime general manager, now former general manager, and really such a mainstay of that institution, you know, remembers that when Lindsay Lohan and Paris Hilton started showing up, it was like a big 
it was a big moment. It was like a whoa kind of moment. You know, he said he could feel the ground starting to shift and shake at the chateau. On July 4th, 2012, while filming the Elizabeth Taylor biopic, Liz and Dick, Lindsay Lohan threw a little hybrid 4th of July and birthday party for herself at the chateau in and around room 33. She'd been living on and off at the hotel for several months and was on the hotel's radar. She had previously gotten into a public screaming match with Avril Lavigne, but still, staff rolled with it. After an evening of partying, room service, and many, many drinks, she racked up a bill for the day of over $3,500. She would stay at the hotel for the next 57 days, racking up at least $3,000 a day, in addition to over $700 in cigarettes, $400 on pay-per-view movies, and more than $100 on magazines and iPhone chargers from the hotel gift shop. All in all, Lindsay Lohan's bill at the Chateau Marmont came out to $46,350.04 for her stay. Though she said at many points that she wasn't responsible for the snowballing lists of charges, on July 31st, Lohan got an itemized bill and a note kicking her out of the Chateau Marmont. Though it wasn't explicit, she was effectively banned from the hotel from that point forward. But that only fueled the public's interest in the Chateau, going to it, staying in it, and reading all about it. More than ever, the hotel was forced to enact strict security measures to keep out the very thing it had always strived for, interest, revenue, and influence. On November 9, 2017, Balazs was accused of four acts of sexual assault by the New York Times. And in January 2018, the hotel was cited in another Times story involving photographer Mario Testino. More stories around the Me Too movement would surface in 2020, along with counts of racism, discrimination, worker suppression, and anti-unionization efforts during the pandemic. But before that, the Chateau would shut its doors, ready for a new chapter. And a new chapter it would have post-pandemic. Balage, still the owner today, simultaneously fired everybody, including people who had worked there for decades, and announced plans to convert the hotel into a private members-only site. He announced that the hotel was going to be moving to a private club model. So it's basically going to be sort of really expensive timeshares. You would be a member of Chateau Marmont, and when you would want to stay there, you would make a booking. You would still have to pay for your room, but your membership meant you and only other members could do it. There could not be one-off people. And that's not offensive in and of itself, but the look of that on top of firing everybody during an unprecedented economic and public health crisis, coupled with the previous charges that had been uh, revealed in the New York Times, just made him sort of like the face of, of ugliness in the hospitality business in Southern California, in certain social circles. Um, Stories started to come up about unfair labor and hiring practices having to do with people of color and women. The members-only plan was abandoned in 2022. And when the hotel reopened, Balazs was in for a surprise. The hotel employees went on strike in an effort for job protection and fair work conditions. The Chateau Marmont was also being actively boycotted by people who once were loyal guests. People like Jane Fonda, who had been associated with the hotel in the past, were among the people calling on their social media for people to boycott. It was picketed on Oscar night. People went to Jay-Z and Beyonce's Oscar night party, which had been held at the Chateau in 2018, 2019, and then again in 2021 or two. Um, They had to cross a picket line to get into the hotel. So um, it, it was really ugly. And they, the union won. They got a contract out of Andre Balaj, and um, it was sort of unprecedented. 
At this point, Chateau workers and fans deserved a victory, even if it was a hard-won one, and one that Bellage was likely strong-armed into. But it feels appropriate in a way, as a place that had always been progressive, a safe haven for people of color, the LGBTQ community, immigrants, and of course, creative weirdos of every stage in their career, even today. And speaking of today, the Chateau is of course open for business, and going stronger than ever, with a particular nod to the past, be it an actual past or an imagined one. And if you go into a room in Chateau Marmont today, you kind of feel like, oh, this this is what it was like when Grace Kelly stayed here. Except it wasn't, because when Grace Kelly stayed there, it had like furniture that, you know, might have the stuffing coming out and, you know, uh, sinks that uh, the faucet handle came off in your hand. But now all the pieces look vintage, but they're actually contemporary deluxe. Like even, even in the kitchenette, like the toaster and the coffee pot look like someone's idea of vintage, but they're actually ultra modern, like with computer chips in them to get the water boiled at a certain temperature. And, you know, it's, it's very, very clever. It's, it's a proper luxury hotel today, but it still taps into this nostalgia for a time that technically never was, or it was, but it wasn't in this form. Razo calls this feeling marmontophilia, and boy, is it powerful. It's really about how the place can get under your skin. Um, marmontophilia is a kind of affliction, and it's shared by many who pass through the place. There's just something about the push-button light switches, the vintage stoves, the Spanish revival sconces, all of it is so easily fetishizable. In my piece for Vanity Fair, I confess that I am certainly not immune to Marmontphilia. I've hoarded my share of Chateau stationery, grabbed those Do Not Disturb signs that they hang on the doorknobs, I've loaded up on matchbooks, figured out who makes the mattresses and the towels, or the Q-tip container in the medicine cabinet, which is restoration hardware, if you're curious. It feels like it's sometimes flirting with becoming the Norma Desmond of Hollywood hotels, at least during certain periods of its history. But it's still really what it's always been, you know, this incredibly atmospheric, incredibly authentic place where stars hide out in plain sight. I'm not sure that's gonna change anytime soon. So somehow this oldest Hollywood institution, one whose very history is so entwined with Hollywood history, arguably more than any other place in town. It feels forever like an ingenue, fresh. You know, there's always a new story unfolding there. And I guess if that continues, the future will, you know, it's always going to look pretty bright for the Chateau Marmont. But with this nostalgia, speculation, and devotion come some pretty formidable ghosts. And of course, the ghosts of the Chateau are numerous. We'll maybe actually talk to some and get their take? With the help of famed psychic Patty Negri and Vanderpump Rules cast member and astrologer Ali Luber on Ghost Town's third installment of our series on the notorious Chateau Marmont. See you then. Featured in this episode were Sean Levy, best-selling author of The Castle on Sunset, and Paul Newman, A Life, and author and narrator of Glitter and Might, a podcast about Hollywood mogul and political kingmaker Lou Wasserman. And Mark Razzo, a contributing editor at Vanity Fair and author of Everyone Thought We Were Crazy, Dennis Hopper, Brooke Hayward, and 1960s Los Angeles, now in paperback. 
always researched and written by Rebecca Lieb and Jason Horton. This episode is guest produced by Brian Fernandez. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.